This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Who are the idols of today's young people and where do you find them? Could be they've just recorded a best-selling record or perhaps were a star athlete or maybe they were a contestant on American Idol. Well, the list goes on and on. Oh, sure, talent deserves recognition. That goes without saying. Fame has its privilege, but it also has its responsibility, too. When the song has ended and the music dies down, will the melody live on, not for days or even years, but for generations? Maybe the real question is, will the world be a better place because that person was here? Well, today I want to tell you the story of a young man whose good looks appear straight from the silver screen, rugged, movie star, handsome, with bushy black hair that accentuates his masculinity. A popular photograph shows him in his mountain-climbing gear, flashing a smile that seems an invitation to want to know him better. And if you had the good fortune to meet him, you would never forget him. And his name? A strong-sounding Italian name. Pier Giorgio Frassati. He was an active participant in sports, from horseback riding to the beach to the mountains he loved to climb. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of my story. Best I start at the beginning. Pier Giorgio was born on the 6th of April, 1901, in Turin, Italy, the son of Alfredo and Adelaide Frassati. They were not just well-off, they were rich, very rich. His sister Luciana was born a year later. Yet, in his surroundings of wealth, power, and prestige, even in early childhood, his personality seemed to overflow with good humor, while at the same time he seemed to have a genuine concern for anyone in difficulty or in need. With Pier Giorgio, it's all the little things that he did for others in a spirit of Christian kindness that sets him apart from the masses and made him so beautifully unique and such a follower of Christ's teachings. For example, when he was just four years old, there was a rapping at the door, and opening it, Pier Giorgio saw a lady with a child, about his age, I would imagine, who was barefooted. Seeing what the child lacked, he immediately took off his own shoes and socks and gave them to the little boy, quickly closing the door so his parents wouldn't know what he had done. And as he was growing, it was obvious how deeply he cared for people, and I'm confident that he was developing at an uncommonly early age an empathy, a feeling of helping those in distress in whatever manner he could. One day a beggar had appeared at the door, and his father had closed the door on him without helping him. Seeing this, Pier Giorgio was so distressed that he ran to his mother crying that his father had not helped him, and he was concerned that it might have been Jesus Christ at the door. After his mother had assured him that it was not, he was not satisfied, crying that, well, maybe Jesus had sent him. Well, because of their financial status, both Pier Giorgio and Luciana were homeschooled in their earlier years, where certain principles such as discipline and obedience had a high priority. They completed their preliminary education in about three years. Schooling, well, it was much different then. Because his father was a famous newspaper publisher, there were frequent guests in the Frassati household representing people of stature, dignitaries, authors, and so on. 
Surrounded by so many important people, Pier Giorgio's father expected all of this to rub off on his son. But this, this didn't appear to be the same. This didn't appear to happen and seemed to be a disappointment because Pier Giorgio seemed to be more interested in having fun and being the life of the party with his friends. But this was only on the surface. They would learn much later the real love and devotion that would illuminate the life of Pier Giorgio. In the fall of 1910, the two Frassati children were enrolled in one of Turin's most fashionable public schools, and it was here that a Salesian priest, Father Antonio Cajazzo, began tutoring the children. And this same priest would one day be one of the biographers of Pier Giorgio, and he would tell how the young boy would hurry through his secular homework, and upon completing his assignments, he would rush up to the good father saying, and now will you tell me a story about Jesus? He was only about 11 years old at the time, and he was focused on recognizing the suffering of others and what he could do to make them feel better. He was not what we might call an outstanding student, as shown by the fact that he failed Latin in the second year, and consequently he had to change schools and entered another run by the Jesuits. God often works in mysterious ways, and the change to the new school was a perfect example. Pier Giorgio met Father Lombardi, the Jesuit responsible for the spiritual formation of the students, and his work with Pier Giorgio had an even more profound effect on his spiritual life as he was introduced to the beauty of daily communion. And from that time, he was a daily communicant for the remainder of his life. In his early to mid-teens, World War I broke out, and Pier Giorgio was distressed at the merciless taking of human lives and bombarded heaven with prayers that the slaughter of these humans would be stopped. At one point, he asked one of the young servants, who had lost a brother in the war, if she wouldn't give up her life to end all of the killing. She said, of course not, but Pier Giorgio answered that he would give up his own life that very day if it would stop the killing. And when the war finally ended in 1918, he personally rang the bells of the city at great length in joyful exultation. The schools in Italy during those years were unlike those with which we are familiar, and Pier Giorgio received his high school diploma in October of 1918, and a short time later enrolled in a mechanical engineering program at the Royal Polytechnic in Turin. While the courses of study were difficult, he made good progress with a desire to earn his degree so he could work right beside the miners, helping them improve their lot in life as, as well as their working conditions. Several years later, the school became the official school of engineering, and the studies became even more difficult and time-consuming. So, Pier Giorgio spent more time with his nose in the books, but still found time not only to seek out and help the poor around him, but to spend time with his friends and maintain his prayer life as well. Pier Giorgio was one of those people who kept his gifts and help for the poor to himself. His own family had no idea of the depth of his generosity and assistance to the poor, and the numbers of the poor were increasing in their area. 
After all, Turin was teeming with an influx of poor people over these years looking for work, and many thousands were barely existing in, in the depths of poverty. Pier Giorgio, out of necessity, studied as required, and while those demands on his time were heavy, he still was able to eke out enough time to be with his friends, but mainly to help those in need and dependent on the generosity of others. A few years before, a branch of the Vincent de Paul Society was formed to help the needy, and of course Pier Giorgio became a member and would use his spending money to buy food and clothing and whatever was needed and deliver these in packages to the needy in the early mornings, before school, or later in the day after his studies. All of these sacrifices were done without fanfare, and only later would the depth of his activities become known. He kept all of his efforts quietly known to God alone. In later years, his sister Luciano would say, Who could have understood the grandeur of his secret life? The prestige and power became a part of the Frassati name, and because of this, in 1920, Alfredo Frassati was named the Italian ambassador to Germany. So, in early March of that year, the family arrived in Berlin, and one of Pier Giorgio's first activities was to find a young Catholic organization so that he could continue helping the poor and deprived as he had done so quietly back in Turin. As expected, he was successful in his search and again found great happiness in giving of himself any way in which he could in which he could be of service to others. He stayed in Berlin a little over a year before moving to Freiburg, where he stayed with a family named Rahner and their seven children, two of whom would later become Jesuits, and one, Karl Rahner, a noted theologian. It was there that Pier Giorgio had commented to Mrs. Romner that he had considered becoming a priest, but somehow felt that he himself could do more good as a layman in close contact with people and could live a life that would be a good example to others. As a side issue, a nun once asked Adelaide Frassati what she would think of her son Pier Giorgio becoming a priest, and the reply was, I would rather he graduate and die. During his days in Germany, he acted with the same zeal and determination to help the poor and needy as he had done in Turin, and to be able to help more people. He once commented to a friend that he had learned to get by quite nicely on only one meal a day. Being the son of the ambassador, free invitations to many kinds of interesting activities were offered to the family, but Pier Giorgio generally declined in order to have more time to be of help to the disadvantaged. Pier Giorgio lived his life following the example of Jesus, who said to his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up my cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. He was concerned with the growing problems in Germany and wrote a letter which was published in the German papers. He wrote, and I quote in part, Modern society is sinking into the sufferings caused by human passions and is moving away from the, from the every ideal of love and peace. 
As Catholics, we must bring that breath of goodness which can only come from faith in Christ. Since peace in the world can never come without God, it is up to you, men of good faith, to keep in your hearts he who in the manger was declared by the angels to be the Savior of the world. The time had come for Pier Giorgio to return to Italy, and he was unprepared for the fascism that had developed while he was in Germany. Benito Mussolini had taken control of the country, and fascism was on the rise. Well, this prompted Alfredo Prasadi to immediately resign his post and also return to Italy. Perhaps one of the greatest concerns of Pier Giorgio well, were the numbers of Christians who, for one reason or another, had supported Mussolini and his policies. He wrote one of his friends, It is better to stand alone but with a clear conscience than to stand with all the rest but with a great stain on our conscience. Pier Giorgio, in years past, had joined the Cesare Balbo Club, one of the organizations whose ideals matched his, but whose goals had become compromised, as so many others had, in the new fascism. In the autumn of 1923, Mussolini visited Turin, and the club had flown its flag in honor of the visiting dictator. This so angered Pier Giorgio that regardless of the potential danger, he personally ripped down the flag and resigned from the group, writing, I shall, with God's help, continue outside the club to do what I can for the Christian cause and the peace of Christ. Perhaps because of his actions, as the family sat down for dinner on the evening of June 22, 1924, a group of fascist followers broke into the Frassati home. But Pier Giorgio showed great courage by not only standing up to them, but by single-handedly chasing them out of the house. Young as he was, he was a man's man. He was courageous and was never afraid to take a battle in defense of something in which he believed or had faith. He was truly a Christian committed to promoting the cause of justice and truth. Strong and firm, he stood upright to support his beliefs and would say, By the grace of God, I hope to continue down the path of Catholic ideals so that one day, when and where God wills, I will be able to defend and teach those unique and true ideals. It seems that whenever Catholic young people gathered together for the good of mankind, Pier Giorgio was there. While outspoken on his beliefs, people said that he went out of his way to show respect and kindness to the opposition. And he went out of his way to respect his family, too. When they visited a vacation home in the country, there was a shrine dedicated to the Blessed Mother, rising about 1,200 meters high in the mountains. Rather than disturb his family's sleep in the morning and, and their routine, he made arrangements to be awakened extra early and to slip out of the house, climb the mountain to the church, attend Mass, receive Holy Communion, and pay homage to the Virgin, and then climb back down the mountain praying his rosary. The rosary was his favorite prayer, and he prayed it frequently, often aloud, even when riding a streetcar. And when people would see him praying, well, it was a good example and a reminder for them to pray also. Just perhaps that might be a reminder for us also. 
In May of 1922, the 21-year-old Pier Giorgio was received into the Third Order of Dominicans and took the name of a 14th-century Dominican priest burned at the stake for his radical views against corruption of any kind. Some of the priests suggested he take another name, but Pier Giorgio was adamant and refused to change the name, perhaps because, in a way, he may have been sending a message that in a time when the world was seeking the easy way, we must be radical in protecting the faith and helping the poor. Sometimes he who stands alone stands tallest. For him, religion was a way of life, to be lived every day, and not just one day a week for an hour on Sunday. His unique character made him highly visible. For example, the superior general of the Dominicans visited Turin for a celebration in 1922 and commented on the university students who had become lay brothers. He was quoted as saying, They were all quite nice, but... One in particular caught my attention as having a special charm. He radiated such kindness that people were drawn to him. His name was Pier Giorgio Frisati. And this was a period in history when the church and many religious activities met with hostility. But Pier Giorgio stood at the front of the line unafraid. To him, I believe, he considered his devotions to the Virgin Mary as one of his major priorities. As St. Louis de Montfort would say, whenever Mary puts down her roots in a person's soul, one sees the kind of wonders of grace that only she is capable of practicing. And through Mary, God seeks to bring us all to holiness. During the terrors of the fascist regime, emphasis was placed on respect for the human rather than for the divine. Religion and the rules of the faith were placed in a secondary position, and gestures of faith or respect for God and the church could be, well, they could be an invitation to have something unpleasant or dangerous happen to them. Well, that didn't deter Pier Giorgio, who would make the sign of the cross when passing a church and praying his rosary beads in hand walking down the street. When Pier Giorgio was in prayer, it seemed that he was somewhere else, oblivious to all around him, as he was immersed in his prayers to God and to the Virgin Mary. Once during an all-night vigil with a group of young people, he was lost in prayer, unaware that a candle was dripping hot wax on him. And we must remember that Pier Giorgio was a rich young man who could have brought luxuries for himself and, and lived the life of ease. But always, always he put others first, especially the poor and disadvantaged. On one occasion, a friend ran into him one evening and asked where he was going with all the packages he was carrying. Pier Giorgio invited him to come along with him, and the friend agreed. Following him into the slums in a house of squalor where Pier Giorgio happily passed out some of the packages, and, and each place they visited was no better than the first. However, Pier Giorgio did not just pass out the needed packages. He went into the hovels in which the people lived and visited with the people, bringing them smiles and good cheer. Others recounted similar experiences, and yet he was very quiet and almost secretive of the generosity he was providing. 
One cold day, a friend asked him why he wasn't wearing a blazer and, uh, instead of a heavy coat. Pier Giorgio shrugged and, and answered, You know, I'm a mountaineer, so I don't really need the heavy coat. The friend was unaware that another beggar was being kept warm in his coat. On one of his birthdays, his father had given him a considerable amount of money, and you could only guess how he spent it. Much of it went for food, food that he made sure was full of nutrients so as to improve the health of the poor to whom it would be given. He once was quoted as saying, I see a special light around the sick, the poor, and the less fortunate, a light that we do not possess. I think in his own way he was explaining that he didn't consider himself superior and was only doing what God expected of him. Just opening his wallet was not what counted. He was opening his heart. He would shrug and say, Jesus comes to me every day in communion, and I return the visit by going to serve the poor. In 1922, the Archbishop of Milan became Pope Pius XI and was known for his great love of mountaineering. Well, Pier Giorgio also loved the mountains and became a member of a group of young people who climbed the mountains, and he would go with them, entertaining them with his jokes and continuing good humor. And on one of his climbs in 1923, he fell in love with Laura Hidalgo, a member of one of his close-knit groups of friends. She was also devout in her faith, as well as an exceptionally pretty young woman whose love of mountaineering fit nicely with her other attributes that were important to him. However, her background and interests were also those in which his parents would frown and certainly be very reluctant to give their blessings for such a match. Money and prestige were facets that did not impress Pier Giorgio, but they were also the hallmarks by which his parents would measure the requirements of any future spouse of their son. Pier Giorgio spoke to a priest friend who questioned him if he had any thoughts of ignoring his family's wishes, to which he replied, I feel I have the right, but I don't feel I should exercise it. The priest shrugged and said, then you have no choice but to renounce your feelings for her. The same young man who always stood up for what he believed, no matter how great the danger, began to weep. And over the days and weeks that were to follow, Pier Giorgio spent a great deal of time with Laura and their friends on many of their mountain trips, but he never let her know of his true feelings for her. He suffered in silence. He wrote to a friend in confidence, and I quote, Today in the struggle, I can only thank God who in his infinite mercy desired to give me this heartache so that through these difficulties I might return to a more spiritual life, end of quote. While he was suffering his own personal tortures, the relationship between his mother and father were nearing the breaking point, and he would not consider adding to their stress. A marriage of their son they would certainly not endorse. His friend, Father Colazzo, remembers his saying to destroy one family to create another would be an absurdity and is not even worth thinking about. I will pay the price, but God's will be done. In 1925, Pier Giorgio was working diligently to complete his degree, but in mid-year his father announced the impending separation from his mother. In late June, Pier mentioned not feeling well and, and having a severe headache. 
There were many things taking place at the time, and his family didn't pay that much attention, but his condition soon worsened with weakness, pain, and an increasing limitation on his mobility. His grandmother was dying, and he knelt by her bedside with his rosary and had difficulty standing. Paralysis was spreading throughout his body, and the medical diagnosis was polio, affecting the central nervous system, mainly the spinal cord, and death was imminent. His sister recalls holding his hand and felt one last squeeze before Pier Giorgio left this world with a strange smile on his lips. His funeral was held on the 6th of July, 1925, and while the family expected the various dignitaries and social friends to attend, they were not prepared for the thousands that had lined the streets and were at or near the church. They were Pier Giorgio's beloved, the unemployed, everyday workers, the poor, the disadvantaged, the homeless, those who suffered, and those who lived in hovels, and because he loved them, they returned the favor. After his death, his mother and father decided to make their marriage work, and Alfredo started attending Mass. The whole story of Pier Giorgio's life began to come to light, piece by piece, and what he had quietly done. The call started for his beatification, led by no less than the Cardinal of Turin himself. In 1959, Monsignor Giovanni Battista Montini, after studying all the reports concerning the life of Pier Giorgio, forwarded the necessary documents to the appropriate department in the Vatican, and a few years later that same Monsignor Montini, now Pope Paul VI, signed the introduction for his cause for beatification. In 1987, he was declared venerable, and on Sunday, May the 20th, 1990, Pope John Paul II called Pier Giorgio the man of the eight Beatitudes and declared him blessed, one step from sainthood. The reports of intercessions for favors numbers in the thousands. Pier Giorgio's life is a challenge to all of us today, especially our young people who are caught between the temptations of the secular world and the divine. Perhaps Maria di Lorenzo summed it up best in her biography of Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati titled An Ordinary Christian, published by Paulus Press, when she wrote, Pier Giorgio did nothing extraordinary or dramatic. During his life, he did not found a religious order. He was not a missionary to faraway lands. He did not preach to crowds. Rather, quite simply, he staked everything on God with the absolute certainty that, as he once wrote, by yourself you can accomplish nothing. But if you place God at the center of all your actions, then you will reach the ultimate goal. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.